Good morning. <laughs> I think we need an amen on that last comment by Natalie. An amen for our mothers, right? Well, this morning we are going to uh, finish our study of Jonah. Unfortunately, because it is a great study, Jonah is a wonderful book of the Bible because you can sit and easily read it at one sitting with no problem. It's got a great narrative. It's, it's so chock full of things for us to, to delve into and to dive into. So I'm going to encourage you right now to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4 is where we will be today. Jonah chapter 4, we're going to start out reading chapter 4, but before we read it, let's have a little bit of context, and the context is what we had last week with Melinda, and that is the fact that uh, Jonah had been called by God to go to Nineveh and to let Nineveh know exactly what was in store for them, and that was destruction unless they turned from their evil ways. They turned from their evil ways. And God relented in that destruction. So we pick it up now with Jonah chapter 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which is more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? Lord, let your word be the only thing we see today, that uh, where we think we have knowledge, you correct us, and where we have no knowledge, you provide it. And all this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Obviously... What we have here is a perplexing response by Jonah. Unbelievably perplexing. I guess it's appropriate that my first example uh, came this morning because could you imagine today if uh, any one of us was called to go to North Korea and preach the gospel? God said, go to Pyongyang and tell them exactly what my word is. And I think most of us, our first reaction would say, be not like Jonah to run away, as we saw in chapter 1, but it would be more along the lines of Ananias, who lived in Damascus, and he was told by God, you need to go to this man, Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias' first response is, this is the man who's persecuting the church. I mean, he's trying to kill us. And yet God said, go, and Ananias went. So 
you obey and you follow God and you go to Pyongyang, somehow you get in. And you go, here it goes, Lord, and you, you walk in that big, great city and you start preaching the word of God. And immediately, the people hear it and they repent from the evil ways. In fact, you hear that Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader, has said, we are turning from our ways. We are going to get rid of all of our nuclear weapons. We're going to take that money, we're going to put it to the people so they have enough food. And we are going to try to do the right thing. I don't think anybody I know in this room, at least, would say, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. I think everybody I know in this room would be rejoicing, overcome with joy for what God has done through a simple person like any of us. But yet Job, or Job, Jonah, excuse me, is perplexing. He's the only person in this story who resists God. The only person, the sailors, who are all pagans, don't resist God. Hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh don't resist God. But Jonah, the man of God, called by God as one of his prophets, resists God. So what drives Jonah? You read commentaries, some different ideas, hyper-nationalism, in other words, him seeing Israel as supreme over all others, therefore having this view of superiority. Racism is also a possibility. And so we see that for whatever reason, Jonah, who worships the Lord, wants destruction from the Lord for these people. I think about how this may reflect on us today. How many of us look to things other than God for solutions? That in effect, we are saying, we want destruction. We want something bad to happen to these people. I think we could check ourselves by something very simple. What are we talking about most? What comes out of our mouths the most? Is it advocating political, social justice, all these things as a solution to the problems we face? Is it liking comments that don't give glory to God but give glory to some particular person or ideology? When we talk to our friends, what are we doing? Complaining about the government, complaining about this group or that group. I think we've got the whole spectrum if we talk about politics and social justice right now. In fact, this week, we don't have to go any further than what we saw this week. Where were, where were our thoughts and actions this week? Were our thoughts and actions this week over our side on the issue of abortion and what should happen with the Supreme Court? Or were our thoughts and actions about having broken hearts for those people who disagree with us and wanting them to see what God's word says? 
Now, I don't know what any of you post on social media, because quite frankly, I don't have any of you on social media. There's about four people in this room I have, and they all have my same last name. And that's just so I can see my grandkids and what my kids are doing. But I've heard, and not by name, but I've heard, things come out that are liked or retweeted that do not reflect the glory of God. They reflect man and, and man's ideology. And in effect, the idea that the others deserve to be condemned. You know, Jonah never denied God's sovereignty. We need to be aware of that. Chapter 2, which we covered two weeks ago, in his prayer, he never denies God's sovereignty. If we look at what he says here, he says, you threw me into the depths. Not the sailors, you threw me into the depths, in verse 3. And then he says, I sank to the foundations of the mountains, in verse 6, and the and earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised me, raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. I've, I firmly believe that Jonah was a true follower of Yahweh, the God of Israel. I, I believe that prayer was truly repentant, that he truly believed those words. And then the seemingly incomprehensible statement he, he makes in anger and condemnation of people, he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. He knows the character of God, and yet where are his thoughts? His thoughts are on the condemnation of a whole group of people, whether at the very end of the chapter, the very last line, it says 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. Some commentators will say uh, that refers to their spiritual darkness. Some will say that's referring to children. So maybe there's 600,000 people in it. It doesn't matter. He still is, in effect, condemning hundreds of thousands of people to death and the wrath of God. In fact, he foreshadows the Pharisees. We've had plenty of Pharisees in the last year and a half, haven't we? Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees all the time. As we went through Matthew, we saw time and time again where he rebuked the Pharisees. He rebuked the religious, self-righteous elite of his day. He did not rebuke those who were sinners and were victims. He didn't, he didn't rebuke them. He rebuked the religiously self-righteous who viewed forms and practices as a way to get God's grace, completely against God's word. There is no way any of us can do anything that is righteous outside of the grace of God. Yeah, I'm reminded of this from a scene in the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. Aunt Alexandra comes to live with the family, the Finch family in Maycomb, Alabama. And she's mainly there because she thinks Atticus, the dad who's a widower, uh, is is not able to properly raise the children, especially Scout, Jean Louise, his, his young daughter. And she comes there, and she's from Maycomb originally, so she knows everybody, and, and she hosts a ladies' mission meeting at her home, at their home. Many of you come from 
Uh, some churches might remember back, way back in the day, that was kind of the women's domain in a church was the missions. And so they start just overflowing with praise about this missionary who goes off to the deep, dark areas of the world to bring God's word and love to the pagans. And they just are gushing about him. And yet, they're absolutely blind to what's going on around them, that they are part of a culture that does not bring any love to the people of dark skin around them. That the people who live right outside town and who go to church, and we get a glimpse in ch inside this church, Copernicus Church, that are praising the Lord, they're doing all the right things, yet they don't see that. Sinclair Ferguson said from his book, Man Overboard, what Jonah wanted was a God made in his own narrow-hearted image, a God with his own prejudices who would only come into fellowship with sinners under certain restrictive conditions. There was an element of the devil's character in Jonah. But fortunately, this story is not really about Jonah. The story is about God's sovereign grace is really what we see here. John MacArthur said, God is not limited by our prejudice, pride, or indifference. This is about God and his sovereignty. Think about God's grace extended to the pagan sailors in chapter 1. It's amazing. God brought this storm on these men so they would come to saving repentance in him. This is not a case where they say, well, it's a fallen world of sin and bad things happen and God allows those to happen for his purpose. He brought that storm. It's clear. No doubt about it. And he did it to save these pagan sailors. And look at how we know they came to an absolutely saving belief. Because when we look at Chapter, verse 6 of chapter 1, the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God, small g, if you're looking at that, small g. Maybe this God, small g, will consider us and we won't perish. But then we look forward. We look to verse 14. After the situation where they had talked with Jonah, Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Listen to what the captain says now. What it says now. So they called out to the Lord, and if you're looking at it right now, all caps, that's Yahweh. The sailors are calling to Yahweh. Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. And then we get to verse 16, and we know this thing's for real. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Yahweh. Absolutely, God's sovereign grace brought a storm on a ship that we thought was just to get Jonah's attention. He did it so he could bring these pagans to him and to be saved in him. He extended his grace to Nineveh. 
We know that. Nineveh, which is evil, chapter 1, verse 2, says, their evil has come up before me. And we could say today, as, as in our geopolitical language of today, Nineveh is a terrorist state. North Korea, Nineveh, no difference in terms of classification. Yet, he brings them out of their evil, and he preserves them. We know for a time he will use Nineveh a few years down the road to bring his judgment on Israel, an Israel that does not follow him. But notice one thing. We cannot claim that Nineveh started following the true God because when the king speaks, he just speaks to Adonai, which is the name for the God, not Yahweh. But still, out of his grace, out of his sovereignty, out of his purpose, he preserved Nineveh. He relented. He is sovereign. Jesus emphasized God's sovereignty, and he emphasized the importance of what happened in Nineveh in Matthew 12, verse 41. Probably about, what, a year ago, Kevin, we were in Matthew 12? Something like that. He says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, the generation he's speaking to, and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is standing right in front of the Pharisees and scribes, the Messiah, the one who is foretold in Scripture through God's sovereignty to save his people, and they don't recognize him. No different than in Jonah's day. Remember when Jesus came to Jerusalem that last week, and the first time he came to Jerusalem as he was starting that last week towards the cross, he wept over the city. His heart was broken because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the people there who would scream out for him to be crucified, those who would not be following the Lord. And he wept. Timothy Keller comments on this, and he says, Jonah did not weep over the city, but Jesus, the true prophet, did. And yet God's grace extended to Jonah throughout the book. Some of us might not look at it this way, but God's pursuit of Jonah is absolute perfect grace. See, God is 100% just and he's 100% full of grace. We can't conceive it in our simple human minds, but that's what he is. And so he calls him to do his will, to do God's sovereign will. And Jonah flees from that. I don't believe Jonah truly thought he could get away from God. I, I really believe he knew Yahweh as his personal Lord. But as all of us do with those things we think are simple little sins that aren't that big a deal, somehow Jonah's mind was clouded. And in God's sovereignty, he fled. Again, God's sovereignty, he fled. God brought him back through a 
horrendous situation. Again, his sovereignty to save people. Jonah then is cast into the ocean. Again, God's sovereign move. The, the sailors said that very clearly. And as he's sinking, he is swallowed by a great fish. God's sovereignty again. And, and I don't even want to think about what it must have been like down inside that fish's belly. But, but jo- Jonah recognizes God's sovereignty there. And the very last thing he says in his prayer to God in verse 9 of chapter 2 is, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And God's grace had him vomited onto shore. God's grace said, you still can do my work, Jonah. I'm going to send you into that place still. That might be a little bit of comfort for some of us today who are thinking, I have failed God so poorly. I failed him so miserably. No. He's sovereign. He he used a guy who didn't want to do it to save hundreds of thousands of people. See, it's not about us. It's all about the Lord. We start thinking somehow, well, what if I don't say the right words? That might drive somebody away. If you really think that God is going to depend on me to save somebody, you're sorely mistaken. Because I can't save anybody. I certainly can't save myself, and I haven't saved myself. Jesus has saved me. So, God's grace, even in that, he's on on top of Jonah. And then when Jonah absolutely, I mean, really, it sounds like a rebuke of God, he asks him simply, is it right for you to be angry? He doesn't condemn him. He He doesn't get rid of him. He just says, is it right for you to be angry? And then as Jonah storms out of the city, now Jonah knew the repentance had taken place. Okay, we might read it real quick, and, but if you read it exactly how it happens, he knew all the repentance took place. He left the city hoping, it seems, that God was going to change his mind. So he builds his little shelter. He's sitting there watching to see what would happen to the city. And God shows him, hey, here, I'm in charge. It's my sovereignty. Here, I'm going to show you my comfort. And so he, he puts the vine over Jonah. And Jonah was greatly pleased with it. But then look what happens. God makes sure he's aware, clearly, who is sovereign, and he has a worm eat that. And then he brings, God brings, he appointed a scorching east wind to let Jonah know, I am the Lord, I am sovereign. And what's Jonah's response to his question again? Is it right for you to be angry? I'm angry enough to die. And then the Lord says something. It it sears me to read this. You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? How often do I have to think I care about all these ridiculous things that I think are important in this world. And yet, have I ever wept for what's right outside my door? Or have I condemned by my thoughts and actions? 
So our choice is to follow the path of Jonah or the path of Jesus. Jonah's path is really, by our thoughts, our actions, is to, in essence, condemn those around us. It really is. That's what he did. He tried to avoid it. He was obedient. And he spoke God's word. We know it. It says that it was very clearly what God's message was. And uh, he did his duty, and uh, then he sat back and said, I condemn these people. How often do we, true believers, come on Sunday morning and we worship, truly worship God? As Jonah prayed, and, and by the way, he kept praying. We see this all the way through to God. He recognized him. And we come in on Sundays and we worship and we go through all of that sincerely in many cases. And then we walk right out the door and we turn on the news feed and we start getting mad. And we start pointing and we start labeling. That's Jonah's path. And we don't know what the resolution here. Some people think Jonah wrote this. And some people say, that's encouraging because who would write something as bad as this about themselves if after the end of this, things didn't work out, that he was restored in his thinking? We don't know. But we do know this, that we're called to walk Jesus' path. And to walk Jesus' path begins with something very simple, and that is our recognition, maybe our reminder that we are absolutely born with a sinful nature with absolutely zero chance of overcoming that on our own. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. Every single person sitting here, standing here, deserves to go to hell. However, God is sovereign. And for some reason, he reached out to me. I didn't choose him. He chose me. And that's the story for each and every one of us. Practices, beliefs, they don't mean anything if we don't recognize where we come from and who he is. And the fact that for it is grace we are saved through faith, not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. And so what happens if we're on Jesus' path? Well, here's one thing that happens. We might take a big detour into a place like Samaria, a place that the religious leaders, the religiously self-righteous, consider racially impure and spiritually heretics. And we take a detour into that place. And we run into a woman who's been married five times, who's living in adultery right now, who in no way represents our beliefs, but we bring salvation to her in the word of God, just like Jesus did. And through her, through a sinful woman, a whole village was saved. Again, 
a people who were, believed, who were viewed as racially inferior and religious heretics. Or we walk towards Jerusalem and we walk into Jericho and we go purposely and point to a man sitting in a tree named Zacchaeus, a man who not only works for the government, he works for the occupying pagan empire. He is a tax collector for the occupation forces of a pagan empire. And not only that, he is a publican. He is a chief tax collector. He not only collects tax for the occupying pagan empire, he takes more off the top and enriches himself. And Jesus walks to that man and he says, I'm coming to your house today. And when Jesus walked into his house, he said, salvation has come to this house today. How do we walk the path of Jesus in our society? We yell and scream about politics. We yell and scream about social justice. We yell and scream about all these things and start labeling and putting people into positions. If we walk the path of Jesus, we would continue on and be vilified, to be literally scourged, beaten severely, and then to be hung on a tree in the shape of a cross. The only person who doesn't deserve that gets that punishment. And what would we say? We would say what Jesus does if we're walking that path. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Folks, the last thing Jesus instructed his disciples was this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, I believe fully that is a message to us today based on Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. I believe that is to us today. So when we are walking out the doors, what are we walking into? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So when we walk into that, the question is, are we walking Jonah's path or are we walking Jesus' path? Doesn't mean we don't stand up for what we believe is right, but it's all about how we do it, folks. It's all about our hearts. And it's all about wanting to see people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is nothing more important in this world. There is nothing more important for you to read than God's Word. There is nothing more important for us to discuss than the truth of God's Word and how God brought salvation through Jesus Christ. I would challenge you this week to check what's coming out of your mouth and what's coming off your fingertips. Is it glorifying God? Or is it simply reflecting somebody who has condemned a world by their thoughts and actions?
Let's pray. Lord, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And we thank you, Lord, that even through tough, tough messages and information, uh, we know that you are the sovereign Lord who is full of grace and full of mercy because we deserve to be punished by the Lord who is actually completely just and does not let sin go unpunished. But for some reason, Lord, you've reached out to us. It's, it's something we really, truly can't fathom, but we accept it, Lord. And today, Lord, we pray as sinners in front of you that we know we can't save ourselves and that only through Jesus Christ who came to this earth and lived a perfect life and then went to the, to the cross and died for every sin ever committed or ever will be committed, they pay that price so we don't have to go to hell. And then walked out of the tomb on the third day to defeat death forever so that we could be with you in eternity. Lord, we're not sure how it all works, but we are so thankful that you are sovereign and it does work and you offer it to us now and you offer it to us in our daily lives to come. Let us embrace it and let that be the path we walk. In Jesus' name, amen.